project here simply is an, a project that I started in Indonesia where we take men who make a living from fishing sharks and we employed them in tourism so they could still make money but do something other than fishing sharks. That's Madison Stewart talking about her mission to end shark fishing in Indonesia. And you're listening to this Ocean Life podcast. Hey there, everyone. This is Josh Peterson. Real quick, before we dive in with Maddie, just want to let you know that I'll be rolling out a new blog and newsletter very soon. The idea is to expand this ocean life with more stories, current events, and a bunch of other fun stuff to read in between podcast episodes. You can sign up on my website at www.thisoceanlife.tv and get these newsletters delivered every other week to your inbox. And as always, I appreciate your support of the podcast by subscribing on your podcast app, giving a follow on Instagram or Facebook, and or pledging monthly support on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash this ocean life podcast thanks for that and thanks for listening today so now we have madison stewart who's been focused on sharks since she was seven years old growing up on the gold coast maddie was attached to the ocean at a very early age scuba diving and traveling the world as a teenager spending countless hours in the water with sharks of all kinds now today we hear of maddie's commitment to helping protect sharks in indonesia by working with local shark fishermen to convert their boats and livelihoods into ecotourism. Her story of gaining trust from a fishing village, bringing them a new sustainable business, and helping locals develop their own sustainable model is really, really, really amazing. The horrors of shark fishing are real and present in Maddie's story in Indonesia and back home, where she helped document the 80-year shark culling program ran by the Australian government now being brought to the public with the new movie Envoy Cole. You can hear from both the director and Maddie in episode 118 to learn more. What's really neat though here today is how Maddie balances the reality of shark fishing with her own unique style and feminine strength in the water, which you can see more of on her website, projecthue.com and social media channels. Links in the show notes, of course. So for now, sit back and enjoy the stories of this dynamic young woman making a difference in our natural world. Big news this week um, with Envoy, Cole, trailer coming out. I watched it. You're a co-star of that. Had you on with Andre, the director, producer, recently in another episode. Uh, so how is that, man? How's that trailer? It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. How'd the trailer make you feel? Because it probably was your first time seeing some of that graphic footage, yeah? Yeah, it's gnarly. Like talking to you guys, I was kind of developing a sense in my mind, seeing some of the social pictures and just kind of following a lot of shark killing stuff over the past x months and the years seeing it put together like that in like a cinematographic experience even for two minutes was really really incredible yeah it's pretty exciting it's taken like a bunch of activists that have shot really graphic hands-on footage and giving it to a bunch of professional filmmakers so it's a really good combination i think it's going to do some big things here in australia yeah so give us like I know we got a whole episode about it for, for folks who maybe haven't heard that yet. Um, give us this, what is the movie about? So Envoy Cull is a film about something that occurs in Australia where we have shark nets and baited drum lines, so big baited hooks just off our coastline as an attempt to protect bathers from shark attacks. It's a very, very old system that we've had in place. It's non-effective and it kills a lot of wildlife. So it's kind of like the first proper film that's been made about this program. 
Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And we go in deep too, and you guys do a great job describing it. So the trailer just came out. Um, I threw a bunch of stuff about it on Facebook and social media. And so for folks listening, again, Envoy, uh, call EnvoyTheFilm.com. Is that the right URL, Maddie? Um, I believe so. I actually haven't looked at cool. the website yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll double check. Uh, but folks listening, really, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is two reasons. One, Manny, you, you're a co-star of this. You're part of the movie and you play a, a really big role in it. But outside of that, there's a reason why you're, you're part of it because you have built your own amazing life working to protect sharks. And that's a big focus of what we talk about today. So and that's, and I might get this name wrong. I should ask you before we started. Um, Project Hue. Is that, am I saying that correctly or not? You actually said it perfectly. Well done. Okay. Good, <laughs> thank you. That was a lucky one. I practiced it like five different ways. So, <laughs> and that's your pro, your program that you put together. It's all about basically, I'll let you tell us, but it's, it's a program in Indonesia that you started. So take us through that. What is it at the high level? And we'll, draw, we'll drill into certain areas about it. Absolutely. Um, so I have been involved with diving with sharks since I was a little kid, like literally seven years old. And I've been involved in shark conservation since I was 14 years old and started to see shark populations disappear off the Great Bay Reef. So that takes me around the world and I do a lot of stuff involving sharks, their protection, their conservation. Project Hue simply is an, a project that I started in Indonesia where we take men who make a living from fishing sharks and we employed them in tourism so they could still make money, but do something other than fishing sharks. So it's kind of a crazy concept and it's crazy how it all started. And I'm sure we'll explain all of that, but essentially that's what it is. So I have like 4,000 questions, but so to start then, I mean, at some point you mentioned you were a fanatic of sharks from just an early age, continued on. At what point did you first go to Indonesia and see what was going on there and just be like, I'm going to do this and make this, try to make this happen? Yeah, I was such a late bloomer to going to Indonesia. Um, it was during the, a couple of years ago now, during the filming the documentary Blue that I was in. And before that, I never wanted to go to Indonesia. They're the world's largest catcher of sharks and they export so many shark fins to Asian countries. So I never wanted to support their economy knowing how terrible their fisheries were. So I went there with Blue to film some of the graphic fishing happening there and now I'm practically a citizen of Indonesia. <laughs> like It's kind of crazy how much that's <laughs> developed. Um, and I, I saw it for the first time with this film crew. So it was really heavy. I had two red cameras pointed on me the whole day and they took me to this place, got out of the car and the smell hits you straight away. And it was one of the largest shark fisheries in Indonesia that we went to. And there was like a giant open floor and imagine up to a hundred shark carcasses spread out over this floor and everything oh, kind of wow. happens in the open there. So I just got to walk around and see all these different sharks. And that was my introduction to that part of the world and the fishing there. Got it. So then when did you, and how did you get the idea of like, what was a moment when you go, geez, you know what, if we help the fishermen who have boats convert their lifestyle, their way of doing business into something else that's not killing sharks, like ecotourism, et cetera. Maybe we could reduce this whole thing. So what was that moment when you came up with that idea? So like about a year later, I was at a cetacean film festival in Maui. And I don't know why I was invited because I just like sharks. So <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest thing. I was going up to these whale researchers and I was like, if you guys ever see a dead whale, here's my card. 
give me a call. <laughs> and they just like looked at me horrified. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I was there and I was watching this amazing story about these boats in um, some certain region of the world. I don't remember exactly where, but there were fishermen that were running whale watching tours. And these fishermen used to fish for sharks. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God. Um, this idea kind of clicked in my head and I was like, what if I could do that in Indonesia? I went there, I saw it, I didn't really talk to the locals, I left, I feel like I didn't make an impact. I feel like I showed people something that happens in Australia behind closed doors. But because we could go to a place like that and kind of exploit people doing it in the mm. open, I felt I needed to do something different to approach that situation. So a lot of my movements in shark conservation are incredibly planned. I am quite a pedantic, anxious person. So I put a lot of thought into things. Project here, I've put the least amount of thought into out of all my projects. Like even the name, like Hiu is Indonesian for shark. So it's Project Shark. Like I didn't think that that was going to go anywhere. It was really simply set up. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to apply for a little grant from Australian Geographic. And I'm going to see if they want to fund me potentially trying to do this. So I applied for a grant. I got less than half of it. And I was like, i got to do this anyway. <laughs> so I went back to that very fish market. And I was watching these two boats unload sharks that morning. We always get there super early in the morning. And they were taking off tiger sharks and shovelnose rays and bull sharks. And it was quite a horrific catch. And I saw this guy sitting on the front of his boat. And I walked up to that guy. And he was like, oh, hey, why are you filming? Because they're all quite suspicious yeah. now, the more attention on them. And I was like, oh, these guys just like filming. And I told him that I was a surfer, which is really funny. Because if you saw me surf, you'd know I wouldn't be able to pull that off. <laughs> And I said, like, what are the waves like around here? Like, could you kind of pay me to take me to see some waves? And he was very suspicious and, and didn't really know, I guess, how to react to me. You don't see a lot of young girls in that part of Indonesia mm -hmm. walking around with cameras. So I asked him how much to rent his boat the next day. And reluctantly, he gave me a price. And that man now has a child that turns one in October that's named after me. And he's the head uh, of my fleet. Yeah. No way. Yeah, so I, I literally just went up to him and, and proposed an opportunity to make some money doing something different. Yeah, so that first go, you're like, hey, can you take me to see some waves, go surfing? To be, you, you Basically, you're trying to befriend this person and build trust, right? Yeah. And so then you go out and does he take you surfing? And then over time, do you start having the conversation of, hey, have you ever thought about not shark fishing, but doing this full time? Is that how that kind of went? Absolutely. He took a few months before I kind of let on that I was a shark person. And by then I'd shown them enough trust and respect that they didn't care. Um, they were so grateful for the opportunity. And if you watch one of my films in which I interview this shark fisherman, he talks about the fact that he was going to university and studying three different languages because his dad wanted him to get out of shark fishing. In his no first way. semester at uni, his dad passed away. And he was just so like grief stricken and had to be the one to take care of his family. So he went back to fishing. So I think a lot of people look at these men and they're just like these evil shark fishermen, but nobody seems to realize that this is a necessity, not a desire. And when we just offered them the opportunity to do something different, they jumped on it. Ah, that's so cool. So do you know, I mean, you formed this relationship with this man who I know you still connect with. Was he getting heat? or any skepticism from the shark fishing community, other guys around there like, what are you doing? Why are you, mm -hmm. why are you doing this? That ever happened? Mm -hmm. 
That's an excellent question. Um, there's been a couple times where that absolutely happened. And he's got my back and I've got his, I find. I defend him to all the conservationists out there that don't agree with me and he defends me to the villagers. So mm. that's when I began to adopt my approach of having a human side to my operation. So I make a bunch of calculated contributions to the island where the fishermen live and to the school. So even the men that fish sharks that don't necessarily work for me right now and still fish sharks, even they are benefiting from our presence because everybody has a kid or knows a kid that goes to that school. And every time we go, we do stuff to help the school. So we're trying to just basically show them the incentives of working in tourism as opposed to fishing. Right. Got it. Got it. And so how long until this spread from this one man you started with to the next person? And was he kind of, like you said, he had your back when the local community. Mm -hmm. So was it, was he advocating your model to others in, in, in his community and, and also kind of, kind of selling, you know, the idea to others on your behalf? Yeah. Um, it didn't even, before I had the opportunity to be like, all right, I need to branch out now. It was already happening. I was having fishermen obtain uh, the idea, well, jealousy really, it started with jealousy. Mm -hmm. They were seeing my boys not have to go out to sea for two weeks and getting to come home to their families at night. And they were like, I want a piece of that. So yeah. it kind of happened that way. I think if I had the resources and the ability and the money to do so, that I could hire every single one of those boats and every single one right. of the fishermen would be willing to do so. Oh, but right wow. now we just do what we can. So I take tourists when I can from all over the world usually people that are there because they want to help sharks. And the most boats I've ever hired was six at one time. And that was for my birthday last year. I had 24 people come to my birthday and all I wanted to do for my birthday was have a sleep out on the boat. So we hired six fishing boats. <laughs> That's cool. That's mm -hmm. very cool. And so they're making basically their wages are greater doing this ecotourism. If, it's, if that's what you call it, adventure, you know, uh, travel type stuff versus the, the shark fishing is that is that correct yeah yeah we calculated their poor average and best prices that they make from fishing mm. and compared it to what i pay them and what i pay them can potentially be 103 percent more than they'd make on a bad fishing trip but if they do a really good fishing trip and they get a really good catch of sharks they can make 27 percent more than what i pay them so i kind of confronted them about this and i was like you guys are choosing to work for me you follow my rules, which is if you work for a week, you don't get to fish for the rest of the month because I supplement a monthly income. And I'm like, why Why are you choosing me over fishing sharks if you could potentially make more fishing sharks? And I'll never forget the response from one of them. He said, accidents happen. And then mm -hmm. he explained to my translator, the last time we went to see my brother fell overboard, we spent seven hours looking for him. He sure. said, we don't want to go out there and risk our lives anymore when we could be doing this it's a lot better for my family it's yeah. a lot better for me wow that's cool i can only imagine like over time of course the trust thing you've developed that and you're you know always developed that in a new country but you walking into this town and just these people are so thankful i'm guessing that you brought them this new opportunity that they didn't have yeah and i think a lot of people are still quite quite weary of it and i fully understand that too and then definitely people look at the project and think that I'm providing them with something amazing, that it's amazing. But in reality, it's it's them that are providing me with something amazing. You know, I spent my yeah. life traveling the world, seeing sharks being killed and feeling helpless. And these men are giving me an opportunity to change that because they're willing and they're able and they're smart and they're educated and 
they know the ocean and they're willing to let a foreign 26 year old girl tell them what to do. So yeah. it's them that are facilitating this change. Oh, that's cool. So talk about the numbers a little bit because um, I was reading, I think on your website, you kind of broke down the numbers. So again, a boat goes out and can, in theory, bring back n number of sharks. And if you are preventing X number of boats that are each catching this number of sharks over time, mm -hmm. you're saving so sort of there's a pretty large number of sharks potentially. So what does that look like in terms of the average catch, average number of sharks one of these boats can bring in? Yeah. Um, so last year, 2019, we prevented about 30 trips from the boats that we were able to hire. And 30 trips altogether is a significant number of sharks. It was listed to be like an average of 19 individual sharks they bring back from each trip. But every time I've been there, I've seen between 50 to 100. So you think of that times 30. Um, it's quite a big impact. It's still a very small impact considering how big the trade is. But it's a big impact for the lives of those fishermen and for us to be able to do. I mean, people are going to go to Indonesia and spend tourism dollars anyway. And this way, they're doing something good with it at the same time. Right, right. So the model you've put together, do you see a way to scale that like, or replicate it in other islands, other ways to really you know, have a large, larger impact? Yeah, I absolutely do. We're actually at a disadvantage where I am because we don't have the ability to have a live shark encounter. There are places around the world where um, shark fishermen have become tourist operators for the very mm -hmm. species that they were fishing. Like, for example, the whale sharks in Mexico. They run a huge tourism operation there now. And in a lot of places around the world where you're not able to enforce legislation that protects sharks or when people are living just below the poverty line, their only way to protect the local resources is to make them profitable for those people. So there's lots of cases where this could and where this has worked around the world. And I definitely see what we've done in Indonesia possible to expand on. It is a giant task for one person. So I'm more, I guess, encouraging other locals to take it on as opposed to me going around and doing it again. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So your time on the water, I mean, get, talk, talk about you spent, I mean, it sounds like a couple of years now, a lot of different trips to Indonesia, being out on the boats with all, with all your, your guys. I mean, talk about just the beauty of the area. I mean, what island is it? And then just describe the waters around that, the marine life and why, why it's so special. We are on Lombok. So it's an island just next to Bali. Um, there's a few famous surf breaks there like Desert Point and Gurupak. And we are on the east side of that island. So we're about an hour away from where most of the tourists go. And when I first went on that fishing boat, I had no idea what to expect. But five minutes from where they're cutting the fins off sharks is some of the most beautiful coral reef I've ever dived on. Mm. There's a really amazing little right hand point break off the island where the fishermen live that nobody ever surfs because you can't get to it unless you're a fisherman. And there's just beautiful beaches and, and wildlife and sunfish and dolphins and mahi-mahi and all this amazing coral right offshore of where all these fishermen are and they have access to all this wilderness. And basically all I do is facilitate their ability to bring people to it. Um, and I think people from around the world have gone to this fish market and have filmed these dead sharks and nobody's gone that little bit further and mm -hmm. documented the beauty around it. So it's quite a hidden gem at the moment. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you bring your trips out there, folks who come out and basically it's there again, they're, they're doing like an eco tour trip, so to speak. Do you have like, 
do you cater the trip to who you have? Like you have scuba divers or you have a bunch of surfers or et cetera. So you kind of line it up and you have the right boats who have the local knowledge to take these, these folks to the right places to do that, all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, last year I ran a dedicated surf trip. So that was pretty interesting. We did just focus on surfing. Usually I run a pretty standard trip and people who can kind of barely swim come on my trip sometimes. <laughs> and by the end of the week, I'll get them scurfing on a board behind the boat and we snorkel and it's kind of just winging it and playing it by ear. It does really depend on the groups. Um, but I think everybody that comes on my trip so far has been really, really shocked by everything and has just said it was a life-changing experience. And my trip involves a day to the market so people see the sharks that mm -hmm. are getting killed as well. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a really important part of it. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And so the local community outside of the people you're working with, what's like the general um, attitude towards shark fishing? I mean, I know it's a lifestyle. They're making money to feed their kids. Totally get it. Um, mm -hmm. But do they recognize that it's extractive, that it's the sharks are diminishing, that, you know, they would like to change? I mean, what's kind of just a general sense of it? From your perspective? Um, yeah. So I've had fishermen tell me kind of reminisce on when they were kids and their dads fish locally and now they can't and I don't know if they're aware of the drastic changes in the populations or why that is um, but I know that they know it's becoming harder and harder to fish them uh, I think that they see a lot of NGOs and individuals and documentary filmmakers come in and, and push for them to protect certain species and do certain things but I really don't think anybody's kind of stopped and explained it to them. I don't mm -hmm. think they ever realize that people protecting sharks are acting in their interest to ensure they have an income in the future. I think they're worried about kind of right now and anybody that comes in with an idea to stop them fishing is not there to help them. So there is a huge disconnect between the people making the laws and the lower tier fishermen themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. As always kind of everywhere, it's, you know, a super common story. Mm -hmm. Um, so then, as you mentioned, you grew up kind of traveling the world, going to hot spots where shark killing is is a big thing. Take us back. I mean, what, how did you get to be to that point where you just said enough's enough? I need to go do something about this to the point where you were, you know, traveling around the world documenting what you were seeing. Yeah, my, my dad, my dad pulled me out of school when I was 14. It was kind of our joint idea. And he just wanted to go scuba diving with sharks. And I wasn't going to say no to that. Like, screw school. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we started going to all these places. And I got the most amazing childhood diving with wildlife around the world. And we were chasing sharks because that's what we loved. And then when I was 14, we went back to this place. I grew up diving on the Great Barrier Reef. And there was always sharks there. We used to do night dives with them. And I was like this little 12-year-old kid. And I would like breathe really fast and elevate my heart rate and all the sharks would like pick up on that and they'd come in and they'd start buzzing me and it was so much fun it was like having these little pets I used to mess with um, <laughs> and then one year we went back to that exact same reef and I just got in the water and I was like oh I can't wait to see my friends you know all the sharks I was a weird kid still am technically <laughs> and we got in and there was one shark and it was too scared to come anywhere near me and that kind of was a big eye-opener because I knew about all the terrible mm. things happening to sharks, but I didn't know that it was going to affect me in my protected Great Barrier Reef area. So yeah. for me, that was like a big no, and that was kind of the start of everything that I now do. And it led to me kind of discovering not only what was happening to sharks around the world, 
but the power of an individual to share that with people and make them aware and get people on side. Growing up in Australia and fighting for sharks is quite difficult because we're quite scared of them. So it's been interesting. So for somebody like, let's say in the middle of some, let's say the middle of Australia, the middle of the US who doesn't have a deep connection to the ocean, but thinks sharks are cool, you know, Mm -hmm. what could somebody do who's remote, you know, in order to help, would you say? Yeah. um, The best work I've ever done has had nothing to do with being in or close to the ocean. A lot of what's helping sharks right now is purely raising awareness and changing legislation and getting the public on side. I think one of the most important things anybody can do in their everyday life is to be a smart consumer. A lot of products that we're not aware of contain shark. These examples of these are pet food, uh, cosmetics, joint medication, like pain joint medication, all these crazy little things that you'd never think have shark in them. They're all products that use sharks that are getting overfished in our oceans so being a smart consumer is Mm -hmm. one of the best things that you can do yeah i got it and you do a nice job i've noticed with both your personal instagram and project hugh instagram of just spreading that awareness you know it's a big key thing we talked about that with envoy cole the film too is now is just a great time because with the younger generation you know i have teenagers who they're all about the social media they're also very receptive you know these images to, I think maybe older folks might get, oh, I don't want to see that there's blood, but the younger kids, they kind of want to go, they're curious. Why, why is there, why is the shark have no head? That's not right. Or the fins are gone, you know? So the social media part when used and, and with great imagery, like I think you have seems to be, you know, helpful, very effective. Yeah. And um, people have pointed it out to me in the past. They're like, you're the only person I see on social media posting graphic stuff. And I always lose a lot of followers when I do, but there's always a, a pretty strong engagement from people that are probably going to be the ones that end up doing something about it because ignorance is bliss, but it's not how we're going to change the world. So I'm a big fan of pushing out all the graphic things that I see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We need to start shocking people and just not stop, and stop pretending that everything is okay. So what's your number one favorite shark? Tiger sharks. Tiger shark, yeah. Why is that? Yeah. They have such personalities. Um, sometimes they're just like little stoners. They're so funny. <laughs> like you see them try and ambush you sometimes. And if you make eye contact with them, they almost like get frustrated and go start again. Uh, they're very <laughs> curious. They're very receptive to kind of your actions in the water. Um, They're obviously very, very dangerous at times. And a lot of people have negative interactions with tiger sharks, but they're also a species that you can have good interactions with. And it's rare to be able to get that close to something that big. So it's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. What what would you say is like the biggest shark you've been next to? I mean, not a whale shark, but the other like tiger sharks and stuff. Like a real shark, yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, I was doing this dive in the Bahamas and we had two huge, massive tiger sharks and they were just kind of staying on the outskirts. They'd come in for food every now and then. It was me and one other person in the water. And then all of a sudden, those two tiger sharks disappeared. And I was just like, ooh, what's coming? What's coming? Because you know when two big tiger sharks disappear, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be good. Something else. Yeah, and I turned around, and in the middle of the water column, I thought it was a whale, and it was a great hammerhead, and its head was as wide as I was tall at the time. And I just remember, like, looking at it and just being in such awe of the size of this creature, and it just swam on through. It was like, sup, guys, and just kept swimming. Like, we were nothing to it, and that was 
amazing. And I've been in the water with great whites and it was bigger than any of them. It was massive. Mm -hmm. Wow. How cool. <laughs> how cool. So then, I mean, growing up, you mentioned your father got you into scuba diving and it sounds like you just have been uh, salty your whole life. So talk about that. I mean, did you grow up on the coast with the ocean minded family and just start doing all this stuff at a young age? Yeah. When I was about one years old, my parents dropped me off at my grandparents' house and then they went and built a sailboat and then they came back and got me when I was two and put me on the <laughs> sailboat. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then we spent the first, uh, half of my life on the sailboat and I think that's where I kind of fell in love with the ocean obviously I don't remember much of it because I was so young and then I grew up on the water on the Gold Coast in Australia and got to be a scuba diver when I was only 11 years old so it's just always been a part of me um, having said that it's like my relationship with the ocean has definitely changed the older I've gotten I've had friends taken by the ocean and it it's something that you have to learn to respect when you're so comfortable with it as a kid because your fear levels need to change as an adult. You realize you're not bulletproof. So it's definitely been up and down for me. And I find I spend less time in the ocean and more time on land these days, but I was lucky to have all those encounters as a kid. And I think that really adds a lot of validity to my fight because a lot of the stuff I saw as a kid, I can't see again today. Things are changing mm -hmm. that drastically. Right, right. And I mean, not just scuba diving, but you're free diving, you surf too. I mean, so I mean, talk about that. I mean, do you, do you have a preference for any, any one activity in the water? Or is it just what's right to do at the, at the time is what you go, go do? Well, right now I've been surfing every single day and I only started surfing about a year ago and I've been pretty bad at it for a year. Um, so, uh, I'm actually terrified of waves. I'll scuba dive anywhere and do anything but i'm terrified yeah. of like the tiniest waves yeah so yeah um but surfing's my drug of choice at the moment it's all i want nice. to do all day every day yeah where are you surfing these days um i'm living in byron bay so i get to surf like what it goes in the past and some of those more popular spots down here um basically anywhere where there aren't giant waves and i can just have my own little kook wave and I'm getting uh, good. I've been going finless on a few of my boards lately on my phone. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Fun. Yeah, there's a picture of you on your Instagram of looks like you're a goofy footer. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, right. So what's your what's your uh, what's your quiver like? What what do you got? What kind of boards are you riding? Um, I have an 88 and I've got an 89 long board that I'm just starting to get good on and yeah, I mean, I, I've done a lot of work with the surfing community in Australia trying to arm them against the potential dangers of interacting with a shark. And, you know, mm. you meet surfers and you talk to them and you, you, you can explain to a surfer that there is a big hungry shark at the back of the break and they'll still stay in and catch waves. And I always thought that they were kind of a little bit crazy. And now that I surf, I'm like, okay, I get it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So you're also, I mean, there's always seems you have a lot of cameras with you in the water, which is cool. Like there's this really neat, like your Instagram is really interesting. And I, I, by no means I'm an expert, but I spent a lot of time looking at Instagram because this is how I find people like you to have on the podcast. I'm always looking at stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But you have this really interesting Instagram and you mentioned it yourself where there's these really awesome shots of you 
as a woman in the water, beautiful shots. And then there's like dead sharks next to that. And there's this all this, it's this really interesting kind of uh, mixture, but talk about like Mm -hmm. the, the photos that are being taken of you. I mean, it looks like you're, I wouldn't call it modeling. Maybe it is, but there's some awesome shots of you posing for the camera, diving, surfing underwater, (laughs) et cetera. I mean, talk about that. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't call it modeling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, don't worry for every nice shot. There's like 50 awkward ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, pho- like photography has been never been my passion. It's always been filmmaking, but I've obviously got to interact with a lot of amazing photographers underwater and uh, having my picture taken has always been such a trippy thing. Cause I'm like, wow, is that me when you see it, you know, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's a really beautiful thing to have. Um, I feel like one day I'm going to look back at all those photos and be like, wow, it used to be so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of happening now, but yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And I think so many people kind of look at my Instagram and think that that's so beyond their reach, but it's not mm-hmm. um, the ability to look graceful underwater and, and, and see these animals is something that almost anybody can, can come and do. So I never like kind of being like, look how wonderful my life is, but more like, look what we need to protect and come see it with me. Well, you know, it's really interesting again, like I think you do that. And again, it's super unique. Like there's these really beautiful, graceful shots of a woman in the water. They're they're gorgeous right next to, again, these sharks. And so what it does, it kind of like it, because again, if, if your Instagram or anybody's was all just blood and guts or sharks, even shark swimming, it might turn a lot of people off because just because the shock factor, but when you mix in the neat shots of you, the artistic shots of you, et cetera, it yeah. like kind of normalizes it, humanizes it. I don't know. It's, it, I can't describe it, but it's really cool. I don't know. I give you a lot I love of that. I love that. That Thank you. I love that. I mean, that's, I kind of, sometimes after I post a, a bunch of dead shark pictures, I'm like, oh, I better like put one where you can just vaguely see my butt in this bikini just to keep yeah. people on my Instagram. <laughs> keep coming then, back. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, I better not unfollow just yet. But also it's just, like that's my life. One day I'll be in the water doing something like, amazing and beautiful, and then the next week I'll be in a factory in China with a pile of shark fins on the floor, and everybody's yeah. got to see both sides. I really dislike yep. people that go in the ocean these days and ignore the bad things that are happening. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's awesome, and I really commend that because yeah, I just do because there's just it's so easy to put up. A, I shouldn't say a facade, but very be very selective with what we show of ourselves and our lifestyles on social media to kind of maintain this like perception of us and the way we want others to see us. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, there's such originality and just raw passion with what you do. So yeah, I think thank it's cool. You. I thank you for that. So where would you say? I mean, you've been around the world. You've been look. You've seen so many different places and sharks i mean right now and yes things are changing but right now i mean where's like the one spot you would go if you really wanted to see a really healthy vibrant shark population Mm, i think um tahiti is one of those places it is so remote and it's uh, a shark sanctuary so there's always a good chance of seeing beautiful amazing wildlife there um Mm -hmm. another place is the bahamas another shark sanctuary which uh is just right. thriving from tourism based around their healthy shark populations. So those are my kind of two most wanted spots. There's places I want to go just in Australia um, that I know I can see wild sharks, but I haven't gotten the chance to yet. And yeah. it's it's kind of sad to think about. 
I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I went on an actual holiday. I either go <laughs> somewhere to see dead sharks and I yeah. definitely don't get enough time in the water with all my live babies, but yeah. 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 So how do you maintain just your, maintain just your energy for all this? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing and I've never been to a shark market. You've been to tons of them. You've seen stuff in the water. I mean, like tragic, sad things. How do you not get down over time when you see all of this? What keeps you kind of motivated and going? Um, I've definitely had down times. I think that I'm super desensitized to it now. And I think the motivation for me comes from knowing that people listening to this or following me on Instagram are going to do something because I've gone mm -hmm. and shot these horrific things. And I think the other thing is um, just knowing the fishermen that I know and those little wins, those tiny little wins, they get you through. And I don't know, it's, it's all that stuff that just makes me think, keep going, keep doing it. And eventually it'll pay off. Yeah, I think that's cool. And it's gonna. I I've had this weird thing of like my podcast. It's like oh, I wish I could reach tens of thousands of people and get them to like think about the ocean in a different way. And yeah, I, I really want to, but the reality is, it's more like a thousand. <laughs> you know, it's much smaller. But what I realize now is, it doesn't matter how big or small. It doesn't matter if what you do, only one person actually re resonates with, with just one. You did. You did that. You helped somebody else think. You know what? I need to do more than what I'm doing. You know, and that's mm -hmm. uh, same with like this podcast and everything. I know if, for you, it's much more than that, which is awesome. But I, I do think that because if you, if you play it forward, if everybody in, impacted one, a couple other people next to them, boy, sooner or later, pretty much everybody's going to be do, doing something for the ocean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We've just we've just got to normalize activism. We've got to normalize what I did, which is dropping out of school, getting a camera and just popping over to Indonesia and talking to mm -hmm. fishermen and just doing something, anything, because the situation is severe. Yeah. And like, you got to act now and you're going to do something now and you have to, you have so much power as an individual. And I don't think people realize that. I think people look at me and they're like, wow, how'd you get to where you are? And that's so amazing. Like I am winging it. And you know, yeah. <laughs> I can't concentrate <laughs> on anything. And I kind of suck at freediving, but the photos look cool. <laughs> and I never finished school, and I don't know what half the buttons on my camera do. So, like, I'm not special. Anybody has the ability to make a huge difference if your heart's in it. Yeah, no, I love that. Just do something. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. So what about other 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 folks in the world or even in your area who, you know, you, you draw inspiration from who are doing, who are committed like you? I mean, other folks that you really look up to and get some some stoke from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of my biggest heroes was Rob Stewart. Just before he passed away, I was working with him on films and he, he was definitely like the peak of inspiration for me. Um, not just because he created the most amazing films that made people think differently about sharks, but because he was able to do so in such an authentic way and he was just so relaxed all the time which really bugs me because I could never be like that. Like I'm so tightly strung with everything <laughs> I do, right? And he never got to see Project Hue or what's happened with Project Hue. And that would be like my one wish is, is he could see that because he was my inspiration for that, to just kind of chill mm -hmm. out, let things happen naturally. And, and he always had like a really great approach to things, a really relaxed approach to things. So I think different personalities are good at different things in the conservation world. And I see, I see people 
around the world daily doing these little things, whether it's someone promoting a certain diet change or someone selling something to raise money for this. And there's so many young kids doing amazing things these days. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. 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 No, so, it's very cool. The yeah. youth is definitely much more aware um, and eager and willing to do something, you know, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also, a, a, um, I would, I would contribute some of that to what you're doing as a 26 year old, you know, you're not like this old gray haired person who found sharks later in life. And here they are after they've retired. And it's like, you're just, you, you gave up I, and some people say normal life school, et cetera, to do this. And I even like my daughters who are 14 would see that and be like, Whoa, like that's, that's really inspirational that this young gal who's not much older than us is crushing it and doing it and pursuing it, you know? So I, I want to mm -hmm. thank you and admire you for, for that very much. Thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, as a kid, I was always told your opinion doesn't really matter because you're a kid, you know, not by the people in my family, but by the people I was trying to change. And the reality to all the children out there is that by the time the decisions being made now are going to have an impact, we're going to be the ones feeling that impact. So mm -hmm. we should be the ones impacting those decisions now. And yeah, there's, there should be no age limit on activism or doing rad stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. So if you could play it forward, in a perfect world, which as we know, we do not live in, but what would like five years look like for you and, and Project HU? I've never set goals with Project HU because I never wanted to kind of make an assumption about how it would go. But if I had expectations, I'd have to say we've surpassed them all. I'm hoping that we just continue on the path we're going now and sooner or later, the right people somewhere somehow are going to see it and help me because I can't do it all alone. But I think mm -hmm. that people are going to step into the equation and help me do it. I think that it would be a really cool thing to see schools get on board and there could be, you know, eight schools that run field trips there so many times a year. And that alone could wipe out half the fishing fleet and turn them into tourist mm. operators. I oh. want to see the natural part of the world there be really respected and more boats transitioning into tourism. and. I also want to really, really, really examine the trade that is exploiting these men, where the shark fins end up, and impact the consumers of these products on the other end of the trade. Yeah. So those are kind of my expectations and what I would like to see. But because this life is so all over the place, I never really set goals or understand yeah. what's going to happen. I never know what's going to happen, which is great. Right. Oh, it's cool though. But you've done such hard work and it's really paying off. It's amazing. It's an incredible story. And, you know, again, um, we'll put links to your website and Instagram and all that stuff for folks to list to hear and just check out more. Um, but again, back to being in this imperfect world where we are now is the COVID lockdown and everything. So what are you doing day to day to stay sane? I mean, are you able to get in the water? You said you could surf and stuff. Yeah, we're still able to surf. So I've just yeah. been surfing nonstop. Um, and I have a little neck injury right now. So I've had a few days out of the water, which is why everybody's emails are getting answered. Um, <laughs> right now I'm using this time to do some more kind of domestic work. Um, I've still taken care of all my fishermen in Indonesia and they're kind of just waiting out the storm. No one's fishing sharks right now, which mm. is really good. So oh, awesome. the ocean's getting a break. It's really good. And it's also a really good example of for the fishermen that, um, the sharks as resources are not going to last forever and they'll have to find alternatives. So it might be a really good opportunity for me to slide in there right after this is over and be like, Hey, I'm here to support you and bring you income through tourism, 
whereas you're still not allowed to go fish sharks because of the government. So I'm kind of hoping it works out that way. But I'm taking it as an opportunity to do things locally in Australia. So I'm looking right now into the link between animal agriculture and potential increase in shark attacks. And that's something that could greatly impact mm. people that surf and use the beach every single day. Wow, that's cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Well, stay safe and healthy. Get over your neck injury. Get back in the water. And I want to say thanks for what you're doing for the ocean, for the sharks. Um, I, what I love about it is, is you are, you've crafted an economic approach to solving like a, you know, an ecological travesty. And I think that has to happen. You know what I'm saying? Because money rules the world. And when you can figure out how to turn that in a way that makes sense for the people who are on the boats, fishing the sharks to be able to pay and yeah. support their families you know it's just it's just a great model you know so um it's awesome thank you yep and so yeah. thanks for being here and again um we'll put links to envoy cold the movie you're in and uh maddie just want to say thank you good luck stay safe and healthy and everything and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks so much thank you everyone hey everybody thanks for listening to another podcast episode can't do it without you like what you heard would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on and of course even better reduce plastic do something good for the ocean and for each other thanks again we'll catch you on the next episode